Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, your weekly podcast where we take a deep dive examining knowledge, philosophies, wisdom and insights to help you to lead, manage and coach in football, sports and life. Leader Manager Coach is presented by Rob Riles. Rob is a qualified coach with a League Managers Association qualification and a science and medicine background. He has worked in the football industry in Europe, USA and Africa at international, premiership, league, non-league and grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome to another edition of Leader Manager Coach. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another program. A very, very warm welcome to you. Today's program is going to be about a characteristic that I believe is probably the Okay, let's just redefine that. If not the, is one of the most fundamentally vital characteristics that is totally necessary, in my humble opinion, for any level of success or mastery. So as a leader, a manager, a coach, a guider, a facilitator, um, a setter of examples, um, one of the things that we all need in life to get from point A to point B is something called resilience. Now, I think the word or the characteristic resilience comes in in many forms. I think it's called many things, but for the purposes of this podcast, we're gonna talk about a characteristic called resilience. And I think it's a word we use. I did actually look it up about regarding its use. And I am a little bit fascinated by etymology and where words come from. And it has it is a word that is now much more commonly used than it was. It actually means or has a definition that involves things like a return to the original source. So if something for it, imagine a piece of material, a plastic, that if you bend it, it if it has a quality of resilience, it will return to its original shape. Unless, of course, it's flexed or bent or pushed or fractured beyond its ability to return, which is a, another great analogy, isn't it? It has the capacity to bounce back. Again, that's another great analogy for us as human beings. It has the capacity to bounce back. How many times do we hear about the advice and the stories about people who bounce back from failure? Um, there's also a, a, a book that's out recently called Bounce. And another, another part of the definition when I looked it up was the word toughness that appeared an awful lot, often referred to as mental toughness. Now, interestingly, in a real good interview with Dan Abrahams, which was out a few, a couple of weeks ago, mental toughness was something that I covered with Dan and Dan had absolutely... Um, loads to say about it and actually said that mental toughness was maybe not a characteristic that you were born with but actually was something that you could learn and develop strategies for so if that's the case maybe we can we can look at the the bigger picture of resilience and say well maybe resilience is something that that something is, can be learned rather than is something that is you are born with now, having looked through the literature and done some research and got a little bit fascinated by the whole subject of resilience, um, which often happens in my life, I have to say, I, uh, I get fascinated by something and then and then get um, 
a little bit passionate about finding out as much as I can about it. I'm going to give you four, four key things. We can call them facets. We can call them aspects. We can call them what we like. I'm going to give you four key things that, to me, jumped out of the reading that I did when I was looking at the quality of resilience. Now, before we go into those four key things, I think it's worthwhile just saying that without resilience, it's going to be virtually impossible to achieve any level of skill or mastery because without a shadow of a doubt, there is a process involved in any achievement. And along that process, the process involves you or the person who is gaining that mastery improving. And the process of improvement requires demands of the individual, whether that's physical effort or mental effort or practice or time. And as human beings, we have two aspects to our nature that contribute to this process. The first aspect is that we are we are biologically designed, if you like, to avoid pain and find comfort and ease. You know, we are driven by a desire to be warm, a desire to be loved, a desire to be comfortable, and a desire to make things as easy as possible, which obviously, in many cases, will go against the necessary requirements to go along a path to achieve a level of mastery. However, in opposition to that, we are also, as human beings, from a spiritual or psychological point of view, whichever you want to, however you want to define it, we are almost driven to go out and get on a path that challenges us and helps us discover and makes us more than what we are. So we actually are driven to, in in a different kind of way, to put ourselves on a on, on a on a path of challenge, if you like, to achieve certain things because of the desires that we have. So we've almost got two opposing facets to our personalities that exist within us, which will, I'll come to that, I'll come to it in a minute, because I was doing, part of the um, reading that I was doing again, I'll reference a guy called Brian Johnson and his wonderful work that he does on his website, Entheos. And Brian was talking about what he calls flow junkies and mastery without the misery. And in some of his work, he's um, been talking about ver various books. He's, he's been talking about a guy called Phil Maffetone, who's one of the world's greatest endurance athletes, and a book called The Rise of Super You by a guy called Stephen Kotler. And Ryan's referencing the three M's of mastery, what he calls the three M's of mastery. And he he calls these, or he references as mothers, which is about the necessity in in a coaching environment. Let's just go back a stage. There are there are just before we go into the three M's, there are there are there is a philosophy, and it's quite a current philosophy, that there are certain things in a mastery process or a facilitation process or a coaching or a leadership process that if you want to get somebody to a to a, the level of a master to be excellent at something to be an olympic champion to be the world's best to be a multimillionaire and whatever they do 
in whatever shape or format is, one of the things you need is you need to create or that person needs to have a nurturing environment. So the, so the environment is absolutely crucial. And he, he puts that under the term of mothers because mothers are often the best, aren't they, at creating that nurturing environment. The next thing he talks about is the often cited and quite modern thought process that we need or the person needs to log in excess of 10,000 hours of purposeful practice or deliberate practice to have any stab at being in the field of greatness. And he, the M he calls that is musicians because there's a lot of research about how great musicians become and, and what level they achieve. And this 10,000 hour rule is often cited in the case of musicians who become excellent at what they do. The third thing or the third requirement, which is well cited in, I don't know if it's many studies or just one, but he calls it the marshmallow study where they basically take a, a young child and they take the young child into a room and the researcher says to the young child, oh, I've forgotten something. Um, I'll, I'll be back in a moment. And on the table in front of the child is a, is a sweet or a marshmallow. And just before the researcher leaves the room, they say to the child, oh, that, that marshmallow, if, if you eat that marshmallow, it's fine to eat it, but you know, um, it's not for now, it's for later kind of thing. But if you, if you don't eat it, then um, I'm gonna, um, you'll, have, you'll have two instead of one at the end. And then the researcher just goes out of the room and then the child is observed. And it's fun stuff if you ever see this happening, where the child is, can't help but look at this marshmallow and thinks, mm, shall I, shan't I, shall I, shan't I, shall I, shan't I? And basically some of the children eat the marshmallow and some of them don't. And the thinking behind it is, is if you have the ability or the child has the ability to delay the gratification and not eat the marshmallow so that in 20 minutes time or half an hour they'll have two, then they are much likely to be, more likely to be successful. Now, taking all these three things, this nurturing environment, this need to do this 10,000 hours practice and this purposeful practice and this marshmallow experiment, it's often not always the case that, as Stephen Kotler points out, that these things are evident in somebody who's a, who's a master because lots and lots of people who become amazing at what they do don't come from nurturing environments. Fact, lots and lots and lots of people who become amazing at what they do do not have a well-structured practice at the, at the heart of them becoming amazing. And a lot of them are driven individuals who actually are very very impulsive and in, who in who in an experiment would not have the ability to sit down there for for two minutes and look at something and without thinking oh you know let's just get on with it let's just eat it and get on with it and get on to the next thing so um this is talked about in in flow junkies and if, if we believe that these three things are, are, are in a way necessary, or at least some of them are necessary, then we have to, which I'll come to in a minute, we'll ha we have to kind of come up with an answer of, well, if these things are necessary, if there is an environment that is necessary, if it is necessary to put in a certain number of hours to, to achieve something, 
and if it is necessary to, de to, to delay gratification, i.e. to delay keeping warm and comfortable and sitting on the sofa watching a box set and TV and eating chocolates and going out to the cinema, instead of getting out there on the practice ground and doing what you, what you need to do to achieve success, then we need to come up with an answer as to how this is achieved. And again, going through the research, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you these four things that really explain and help us understand how it is that this can, this can be achieved. The first one is the realization that actually the process of success, the process of life, if you like, is actually a never ending journey. And there's, there's a, a lot of spiritual literature that says that, you know, you're born as a, as a blank slate, as a carte blanche, and you are born with essentially unlimited potential. But with your genetics, i.e. who your parents are and your grandparents are, and etc., etc., you have guided potential. So you are more likely, if you have parents whose genes are of a very high physical level to have the potential to be excellent in an athletic domain. Whereas if your genetics are predisposing you to a, let's just use a very simple analogy of a mathematics, say, say your parents are both mathematics professors at Cambridge University, the chances are, and I'm not a, a geneticist, but that that would predispose you to being excellent from a genetic point of view, never mind an environmental point of view, to being excellent at in in that area. Now, it's all about what you do or what happens to you as you go through your process. But one of the key things, the key learning factor number one for me is actually understanding and remembering that life is actually a journey and it's not about achieving something all at once in one go. Because that's the thing, if we get back to the resilience, is the thing that often makes people give up. How many times have you experienced the frustration, almost the anger, and the massive disappointment of setting a goal, setting a target, setting out to achieve something, and the, the bigger the desire, the more you put into it, the, the more emotional involvement you have in it, the, potentially the bigger the fall when what you set out to achieve doesn't happen, particularly in your time frame, is likely to be. And, and I think that understanding that, you know, life is a journey, it is an actual process, and there will always be another tomorrow and another chance to have a go and understanding that you know a good hero's journey as they say has adventures and challenges because that's what it's meant to be if it hasn't got challenges if it's not uncomfortable if there's not some another obstacle standing in your way if there's not something else that you need to overcome then it's probably not a journey that that's that's worthwhile and i think that having and understanding that that is the process. And if you are going through this challenge, 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 oh, success, challenge, 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 oh, not success, challenge, 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 oh, success, 
then the actual knowledge, self-knowledge that you are going through that process tells you that you are on the path. And actually there isn't another path that's gonna get you to wherever it is you wanna go. So that's number one for me. Understand that you are on this never ending journey to, to success. Now, the next one, number two, which came out when I when I was doing all the all this research, is well, if that's the case, and yes, life is challenging and achieving success is challenging, then you know, how how can we make it so that we are much more likely to be resilient. And one of the things that became obvious was that people who achieve great things, people who do things that are, are, are extraordinary, have fight the battle once. And what I mean by that is that, that, for example, they often, and you don't have to do this, but this is just what I found from, from when I researched, is that they, they get up early or they get up at a certain time of day. A lot of them get up early. That seems to be quite a common factor. I'm not saying you should, but that's what often people do. They get up at an early time. So they get up an early time and then they have a routine. So they have a routine that is well-structured and is laid down and they do day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. I'm not saying they do it every single day, seven days a week. They may do it five days a week or six days a week, or there may be slight differences in that routine according to the day. But they have a routine that is set out. And it may be a routine that involves whatever it is for them that's successful. They may get up, they may get dressed, they may go to the swimming pool, and they may just start their practice. They may get up, they may meditate, they may read, they may go for a walk, they may do their personal care, and then they may sit down in the office. They may get up, they may do their meditation, they may do a yoga practice, they may go for a run, they may come home, they may make, have their nutrition for the morning and then they may go to the practice ground and, and do whatever it is they do. But whatever it is, they fight the battle once. They don't get up in the morning and think, right, what shall I do today? Or do I feel like it? Or how am I doing today? Because come, you know, whatever, they will go through that routine because that routine is something that sets them up and and it may not be that that particular routine is actually the the deep work the the, the crux of what it is that they do but it's the routine that allows them to be the best at what they do or to put in the best key deep work practice and i've got routines and it's something that really helps me and i don't know whether it's something that you'd be thinking well you know how, how can I improve my my start to the day or how can I set up my my day my life my environment my logistics so that what I want to do I can do much more easily rather than being bounced about by life by emails you know I certainly don't check check emails and um, I, I avoid getting involved in electronics before you know, before I have to, because I have an agenda and I want to achieve that agenda and I want to do those certain things. And what I don't want to do is get distracted. So number two is have a successful routine so that you're well set up. Number three, and this goes back to what I was talking about before when we talked about the musicians, the mothers and the marshmallows that Stephen Kotler um, talks about and, and, and um, 
Brian Johnson talks about in being a flow junkie and the rise of super you is if you want to become a master then I think it's pretty certain that you've got to put in a few hours practice now whether it's a 10,000 or not that's not the relevancy of this this discussion but how do you do it without it being a chore because if it's a chore number one the people who can't sit there and look at the marshmallow and think I will delay that gratification and I will go out and do my practice instead won't do it because a lot of the people who become successful are impulsive people so how do you achieve this without having all these challenges that are so difficult to to get over on a daily basis well what you do apparently and it seems so obvious is that you have to do what it is that you actually love you have to be involved in the arena that totally and utterly floats your boat so that doing this in theory this 10,000 hours isn't actually 10,000 hours of deliberate practice that feels like deliberate practice it's just a state of flow it's the artist who paints who loses track of time it's the musical component uh, composer who sits alone in his den and loses track of time it's the author who writes and 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 falls asleep at the desk because he was in such a state of flow that it was just coming and coming and coming and coming it's the player who is out on the pitch who is loving it so much and is lost in his in his game or his practice that it doesn't feel like practice and that seems to be actually the absolute essence of, of of getting to this process because as they say that you know people who are who are struggle to delay gratification the people who want it now and, and are impulsive they if they're on the on this path of flow and they need to delay gratification then the chances are that they won't stay on the path but actually if by their if the the fact of being on the path is gratifying because it's what they want to do, then that explains why they stay on the path and they do what they do and they get excellent at what they do because what they're doing fulfills their gratification. So it's actually the absolute essence or the key thing to find what it is that floats your boat, that makes you happy, that puts you into that state of mind where you think do you know what I absolutely love this this is what I feel like I, I was born to do and th there's a, a famous author called James Michener who um, apparently is quoted as saying that um, mastering the art of life is is where you make where there's no distinction between your work and your play so it all melds into one so you don't know which is which and it certainly doesn't work certainly doesn't feel like work it just feels like play and to everybody else you may be working but to you it's an absolute joy and, and it's absolute absolutely feels like play so it's being a flow junkie by finding out what it is that you absolutely love so we've got our understanding number one that actually life is a journey and we're not going to get there all at once so we don't need to bite off more than we can chew number two we've put in place some amazing routines 
so that we don't think about it, we don't fight a battle more than once, we just get up, we get on with it, and it puts us in that situation where we can go and do our work so that what we want to do that will achieve our results will be done easily and we won't be distracted. Number three, because we're doing what we love, because we've actually found the thing that we want to do, whether it's a niche of what we're already involved in or it's a, an aspect or it might be a completely different thing that you need to change direction, I don't know, only you know that. You know, you become a flow junkie where work is not work anymore. It's an absolute pleasure to do for the majority of the time. Let's be realistic. And the last thing is, okay, so how do we get better? Well, again, looking through the research, looking at the literature, certainly if you want to become great at something, you've got to put yourself under a little bit of pressure to get better. And you have to do what people call purposeful practice or deliberate practice. Because if you just do the same thing day in, day out, day in, day out, and you don't stretch yourself, you don't lift a heavier weight, you don't run a few yards further, you don't do it quicker, you don't try and do more in the time or whatever it is the challenge that you need to do to actually stretch yourself, you will just stay in the same place. Now, there's an awful lot of evidence that says that the ideal amount of stretch the ideal amount of challenge that we need is something around the 4% mark. So if you are practicing something, you almost have to work out, well, how can I actually challenge myself so that I'm asking myself today to be 4% better than I was yesterday? Now, you know, please don't write in and, ask and tell me that this is an impossibility. It's all about an estimate. So you've got to try and work out how much to stretch yourself so that you don't break. Because if you say, right, I'm going to go from zero to hero, um, you know, the old adage of, look, you can't get there from there. If you are in a extremely sad and depressed state and it's chronic, you've been like that for a while because of a certain circumstance, you know, it's virtually impossible that tomorrow you're going to be in a very, very stable, happy psychological state that's going to last. That is probably not going to happen. But what can happen is that you can feel marginally better for 15 minutes because of something that you've done, a piece of music you've listened to, some introspection that you've done, or some maybe some counseling that you have if we just use this as an example and you can build on that so that in three months time you can be in a much healthier psychological state than you were three months prior and that's the challenge isn't it that's the thing the mistake we often make i believe in that we always especially when we're enthusiastic about a new project we all all often give ourselves these amazing targets and you know we're driven by a lot of the literature that the present success literature that says, you know, dream big, set big goals and let's get on with it and, and do this. And, you know, I can certainly relate to setting goals that were miles too big for, for, for what I wanted to achieve. And a lot of the people I work with come in and, and have got unrealistic things that they want to achieve in a time frame. And it's uh, setting big goals and having big dreams is what life's about. But often take the pressure off, be, when I say realistic, you know, don't aim low, but give yourself those little challenges because it's those micro micro moments of improvement, those 4%, those, or even those 1% and 2% that incrementally 
get compounded day after day after day after day after day after day after day that will get you to where you want to be. It builds and builds and builds and gives you that foundation that A, allows you to be happy and um, much more content while you're doing what you do, allows you to be in the flow process. It doesn't make you feel under pressure. It doesn't make you feel anxious because that's part of the part of it too. If you're if you're anxious, if you're under pressure, then your results will not be, A, they won't be as good and B, you know, you probably won't stick to the process because being in a constantly anxious state is uh, not what life's about and it's certainly not a, not a recipe for success. So I think it's great advice. So those are the four things that jumped out to me in this resilience process, this process of, of developing resilience where we bounce back easily. We've got a real good foundation of, and I'll, of toughness and we can... Um, you know, return to our original state and, you know, not be not be knocked over and, and broken forever by the challenges that we that we face. So number one, understanding that it's a process and it's a never ending journey that we're on. Number two, let's establish some key routines that will really help us to put the quality time in that will help us to get to where we want to be. Number three, let's try and help our ourselves and our the people that we work with who we lead we manage we coach to be flow junkies let's find out what it is and help them to find out in fact i think one of the greatest things you can do is help yourself and help the people you're with to find out what it is that they they should do in their life because i think everything else will almost take care of itself if you can do that and number four when we're actually setting our little challenges and um, for ourselves and uh, again the, the people we lead managing coach can, how can we help them to achieve those incremental daily 4% little stretches that compounded and aggregated will lead them to the uh, wonderful high plateaus that um, they so look forward to. So there we go, the four key, key elements to resilience. I hope you found them helpful and you can use them in your daily life. Once again, thanks very much for your time. It's always appreciated. It's uh, Rob Riles, Leader Manager Coach. If you want to catch me, it's www.robriles.co.uk or I'm on LinkedIn. Okay, great to chat. Speak soon. Bye-bye.